Happy 55-0 golden anniversary of the Stonewall Uprising. Today is June the 28th, 2019. And on this day in American history at 1.20 a.m., as they were doing last call at the Stonewall Inn on Christopher Street, the New York police were doing one more routine raid to arrest the trans people and the drag queens and the the street guys and everybody in the Stonewall in that one particular evening. And you know what? People were cranky. It was hot. Judy Garland had just died the week before. People were feeling pretty blue and pretty miserable. And in came the police one more time harassing people named like queer and fags and dykes. And, you know, for something magical and mystical and spiritual happened. And... uh Black lesbian, uh, Stormy Lefevre, she pushed back. She started it. <laughs> Leave it to big black lesbian, big black dyke to start the fight. You love it. She pushed back. And then uh, transgender black woman, Marsha Johnson, she threw a brick. And then Sylvia Rivera, not to be outdone, she threw the first Molotov cocktail. And off to the races we went with three days of uprising at the Stonewall Inn. So happy 50-year anniversary. It's World Pride in New York City. I know that the New York City Gay Men's Chorus, along with the Gay Men's Chorus of Los Angeles, had a joint concert last night at Carnegie Hall. I know that people from all over the world are convening in New York to celebrate New York Pride this weekend. I know it's also San Francisco Pride weekend, and you're tuning in here to Sidebar with John Rand. We have got a great show today. We are starting out with Arturo Vargas. Arturo is the executive director of the National Association of Latino Elected Officials. They just had a big win in the U.S. Supreme Court yesterday where the court struck down the citizenship question on Leo. That was their issue and that was their case. And uh, Arturo is an openly gay Latino man who has been the head of this organization for 25 years. It's a long time to head anything, but to head the cause uh, fighting for Latinos all over the U.S., Puerto Rico, and, uh, and fighting for immigrants. And he's just a remarkable man. He's married to a federal judge, uh, Judge Fitzgerald, here in Los Angeles. He and his husband live here in L.A., and uh, he's just a great and inspirational leader. So we're starting out with Arturo. And then not to be outdone, but we're then we're moving over to Jenny Pizer, Jenny Pizer, legend, icon. She is the legal director of Lambda Legal Defense and Education Fund which is our 501c3 legal litigation uh, nonprofit based in New York City, but offices all over the country that fights for LGBT people and has taken numerous cases up to the U.S. Supreme Court, ranging from uh, striking down all the sodomy laws in the United States to HIV and AIDS to trans protection. And Jenny is the uh, legal director of that organization, and she's got a long decades, I think now almost 30 plus years of fighting for LGBT rights in the courts and in the legislatures in Congress. And she's an incredible attorney and smart and look forward to having her on the show. And then we've got a straight ally, uh, Jan D. Gordon, who is a book publisher, just released her book called LGBTQ of Steel. 
Uh, she actually released a, a book prior to that called The Women of Steel, where the subjects in her photo collection uh, take steel and bend it up into shapes and figures and express themselves. And she uh, did 50 LGBTQ people, and I have to confess, I'm one of the 50 in her book. I want to disclose that right out front. But uh, she wanted to steely LGBTQ people, and I guess I fit that definition <laughs> after 35 years of fighting for LGBT rights since the uh, late 70s ah uh, yeah i've been forged in fire so we'll have her on and then we're finishing up the show with uh, greta schiller who's a director uh here from new york city happens to be in los angeles who wrote uh i'm sorry who directed the film called before stonewall because uh you may or may not know it but before june 28th 1969 there was a whole lot going on not only in this country but all around the world for lgbt rights uh, and i know that many people mistakenly believe that Stonewall was the start of it. It was not, I hate to shatter your myths, it was not the start. It was a pivotal moment, a very important moment in LGBT history, but it was not the start. Uh, for us to say that, we would completely discount everything that happened in the Roaring Twenties and in the Thirties and the LGBT Poets, uh, you know, from Audre Lorde to Allen Ginsberg in the 50s, uh, you know, we've, we've had our people spread out through decades and decades of activism. And that's just here. I mean, you, you pull in Berlin and Paris and London, including Oscar Wilde in London and other places. I mean, people have been fighting for our issues for a long time. But... Uh, Obviously, uh, 69 was a pivotal moment, but we always pay tribute on this show to 67 at the Black Cat here in Los Angeles, where there was also an uprising two years before the Stonewall riots, and of course to the Cooper's Donuts uprest in 1959, 10 years before Stonewall here in Los Angeles. Our people have been rising up and fighting back for a very long time. Not to take away from the 50th anniversary of Stonewall, but to place it in its proper context that it's one of many pivotal moments through LGBT history and one that we commemorate today as significant 50-year anniversary. And that's why World Pride is in New York City. And that's why uh, New York is going to have just a rip-roaring time this weekend. And today is the anniversary date. Today is the actual date. So we've got, um, you know, a, a little bit of lesbian, a little bit of gay Latino. You know, straight ally, uh, a couple more lesbians. We're just going to be all about uh, the 50-year anniversary of Stonewall today and talking about all the fights that we're waging, uh, not only in the Congress and the courts and in politics, but also in culture, because uh, the politics of moving our movement forward and legislation have to uh, be seated and fertilized within a culture that uh, not only tolerates LGBT people, but accepts and promotes LGBTQ as being something good and American and something valuable and worthwhile, which is where we are. It's not where we were, <laughs> not where we were when I was coming out. When I was coming out, homosexuality had been criminalized just a few years before that. And uh, I came out into a world in the 70s where homosexuality was considered deviant and that we were all pedophiles and pervs and something to be disdained by church and state and military. And uh, my gosh, in just a matter of a handful of decades, we have completely flipped that boat and got a man named Pete Buttigieg running for president of the United States of America. That's progress. So thanks for tuning in. Going to have a great show. You're listening to Sidebar with John Duran here on Channel Q. Call from mom. Answer it. 
Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. El otro lado del río, a beautiful song about people who are struggling in a movement trying to get to the other side of the river. And I couldn't think of a better intro song for my friend Arturo Vargas, the executive director of NALEO, the National Organization Latino Elected Officials. Welcome, Arturo. Welcome, John. Oh, I'm Thank so you. glad to have you here. You, I mean, you just had a huge win in the Supreme Court. Well, I think you called it winning without winning, or what did you say it was? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly how I characterized yesterday's Supreme Court decision. It was a win without winning. You it was know, a w- census, right? It was a census, and it wasn't a win for me. It was a win for America. It was a win for the Latino community uh, in terms of what we have a fighting chance for now, and that is an opportunity to try to have a constitutional, fair, and accurate census next year. Uh, the Trump administration has been meddling and interfering with the professionals at the Census Bureau. Uh, and now we know that the motivations are political ma- manipulation of the data, uh, trying to guarantee an undercount of immigrants and Latinos to the detriment of our community. And we're just not going to stand for it. And this came out of the Department of Commerce. Wil- Wilbur Ross, actually, in a disingenuous way, said it was to help defend and support the Voting Rights Act. I mean, it was kind of a perverse twist of really what they were up to. Secretary Wilbur Ross lied to the American people. He lied to Congress. He lied to me personally. Mm. I had a conversation with him on March 13th, 2018. I vividly remember we were having a Naleo board meeting that morning in Washington, D.C., and he scheduled a call with me because he said he wanted to understand why people had concerns about adding a citizenship question. And he made it clear to me that he wasn't the one seeking to add the citizenship question, but rather he was just responding to a request from the Department of Justice who wanted uh, block-by-block data on citizenship. Well, once we got into litigation, we discovered it was all a lie. It was all a ruse. In fact, it was Wilbert Ross himself in cahoots with... Steve Bannon and Chris Kobach, who have a long history of working to disenfranchise Latinos and other protected minority groups, that this was all an effort to try to manipulate the data for partisan purposes. So they went to the Department of Justice and literally asked them, could you ask for this question so that we could have an excuse for it? Initially, DOJ said, We can't be bothered with this. Number one, we don't need it because for voting rights purposes, we've been collecting citizenship data already that are completely acceptable for enforcement of the Voting Rights Act. And number two, we got too much on our hands with Jim Comey and all the other things happening. We can't be bothered. Ultimately, Ross called Jeff Sessions, the attorney general. Sessions says, of course, we'll ask for it. Mm. So they did. And then Ross went about this charade of, trying to do research about what the impact would be. And then he issued his decision memo uh, at the end of March, and then the litigation started. 
And so if I'm here and I'm not documented, if I'm an undocumented person and I'm listening to Donald Trump, who is tweeting out daily or weekly, I'm going to round them up, I'm going to deport them, I'm going to move millions across the border, why would I answer, I'm not a U.S. citizen? I can't imagine why I wouldn't. Well, first of all, uh, the Constitution of the United States requires a census every 10 years, principally to reapportion the House of Representatives. When the Constitution was written, uh, well, the reapportionment based on population. When the Constitution was written, slaves were only considered to be three-fifths of a person for purposes of apportionment, so only white people could be counted and considered to be a complete person. Native Americans who lived on reservations were not counted at all. That was corrected by the 14th Amendment. This country fought a civil war to eliminate slavery, to pass the 13th Amendment, and then the 14th Amendment, which ensured that everybody would count equally. Congress debated the language of the 14th Amendment. Should should apportionment be done by total population, only by citizens? And Congress debated this issue, and they decided, no, total population. It should be an enumeration of all persons. Mm -hmm. Doesn't say all citizens, doesn't say all white men, doesn't say all voters, property owners, all straight people. It says all persons. All persons. So if you're an undocumented person, uh, the Constitution says you're required to be included in the census. And why should you care about being counted? Because if you're not counted, the community in which you live will be denied fair representation and fair distribution of resources for 10 years, all of which depend on census data. Amazing. You have been the head of Naleo for 25 years, yeah? 20. Just a few months short. Just <laughs> a few months, 25 <laughs> but who's years. Counting? When you first came to Naleo 25 years ago, uh, how many Latino electeds were there? Naleo publishes an annual directory of Latino elected officials. Uh, we try to identify everybody who's Latino or Latina, and uh, is in elected office. And we published a directory in 1995 that listed about 3,200. Today we have about 6,800. Wow, so doubled, doubled. More than doubled. Uh, I would call that incremental progress. Uh, It's nearly, not nearly uh, proportional to how many Latinos are in the country. We're almost 20% of the population in the United States, but we're about... 2% 2% of all uh, folks in elected all, office. All elected office. That is really underrepresented. I just read something from the Victory Fund. LGBTQ are 0.001% <laughs> of all the elected positions. Even if LGBT people are arguably 5% of the population, it's probably less than 10. It's probably more like 5%. We're still not even uh, up at one. We've right. got a total of 682 of us out there uh, representing the LGBTQ community. Wow, that's 1% of the number of Latino elected officials. Isn't that amazing? One <laughs> percent. But like you said, it's incremental. It's about incremental growth. Because when I got elected to office uh, almost 19 years ago, uh, the Victory Fund, there were 80 of us. So we've gone from 80, a double digit, to 682. So it's, it's growth. It's incremental it's, growth. It's growth, and it has to be intentional. We have to talk about developing candidates, fielding candidates, and um, finding those opportunities where qualified candidates could make the case for why they have the experience, 
the skill sets to be in elected office and to represent everybody. Now, you're an openly gay man leading an organization that supports LGBT issues, but isn't on the point. It supports wider, broader uh, Latino issues. Has your sexual orientation ever been an issue in the 25 years at uh, Naleo? Uh, not to my knowledge. <laughs> you're still I mean, there. <laughs> I'm still here. Uh, I don't uh, doubt that I may have been denied some opportunities or... Folks may have decided to pass on me uh, in terms of including me in meetings or conversations about the future direction of our community or the country. Um, but I've been able to do my job with the full support of my two boards of directors because mm-hmm. we have a membership organization and we have a nonprofit arm. And I have had nothing but 100% support of the leadership of the organization and of my team, of my staff. And you got a $12 million annual budget, I believe, and a staff of what? Wow. That seems to be changing every day. <laughs> I know. Um, we're at about 80 80 staff, staff people around across the, the country. country. That is amazing. And a $12 million budget, uh, almost entirely privately funded. That is amazing. And uh, that's, what I, that's one of the big distinctions between us and other nonprofits. Uh, we don't have government contracts. This year's an exception because we have a few small contracts here and there for census, uh, the state of California uh, stepped up and made a big apportionment, and so we got a relatively small grant to coordinate a Latino effort throughout the state of California. Really cool. We're going to go to a quick break, and we're coming back. We'll be continuing to talk to Arturo Vargas, the executive director of the NALEO, the National Association of Latino Elected Officials, and you're listening to Sidebar with John Duran here on Channel Q. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I play that song because I love it. <laughs> Despacito, I love that song. I don't even know what it's all about, but I love it anyway. Worldwide, number one song. Well, it means slowly. Slowly. So. Well, ain't that the truth? Slowly. Such a catchy song. It, it's got 6.2 billion views on YouTube, so that it's killing it. It is killing it. That is amazing. I put a bunch of hot Latin men together singing and dancing. Anybody will watch. <laughs> I'll watch. <laughs> We're talking to Arturo Vargas, the executive director of Naleo, the National Organization of Latino Elected officials. Um, Arturo, you uh, recently married uh, mm-hmm. a federal judge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same sex. Yes. Mm-hmm. Making your outness pretty apparent <laughs> for the whole world to see. You marry a man, they know you're gay, if you're a man as well. Um, With the big wedding. Yes, I was there. It was so exciting. A big, fat, gay wedding. A big, fat, gay wedding with Latino overlay. It was awesome. Have you, um, the converse, of course, the issue about homophobia from the Latino community, but have you ever experienced any racist attitudes within the LGBT community over the years? Dead air is actually okay. It means possibly not. No, it means, not. <laughs> uh, sure. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, yes. I drew uh, the it, wrong conclusion. No, but it, particularly in social circles mm. where, you know, there's... Uh, bars and neighborhoods where you need to be white and 
fit and Are you talking about my city west hollywood i didn't you say are. that i did not say that he's talking about west I hollywood i did not say west hollywood <laughs> but there are neighborhoods where i don't uh don't feel welcome yeah no. you know? i think that that criticism against west hollywood has some validity to it and a part of i try to explain to people part of it's just the hollywood overlay i mean it's the hollywood about being young being glamorous being fit the movies television fashion you get that overlay and then you just add gay on top of it it just gets highly yeah. accentuated overly accentuated but they did elect their first latino <laughs> yours truly of course i had to remind them by bringing a mariachi band to my installation in case they didn't re- recognize <laughs> right. it um you looking at the current presidential debate i assume you watched the debates yeah i did and we even hosted eight candidates ourselves at in miami last week a week ago today what happened at your debates eight of them came eight of the 20 came. we invited everybody who had declared their candidacy for the nomination from both parties so we invited both republicans the president and governor weld and all 20 some of the democrats we had Eight who accepted our uh, invitation. There were three senators, Sanders, Kobolcher, um, and Warren. We had Swalwell and O'Rourke, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, uh, Secretary Castro, and Governor Hickenlooper. From Colorado, yeah. So it was a pretty good field. That and is a good we field. had an opportunity to have a conversation on the issues that matter to Latinos. So, yes, we talked about immigration and what's happening on the border and the need for reform, but we also talked about the economy, about healthcare. We talked about um, climate change. And it was an opportunity for these candidates to understand that we're not a single issue constituency. You shouldn't come before a Latino audience and think, oh, they just want to hear about immigration. Right. I hear about more than that. I sat in that debate, and I sat next to Dante Acosta, who's a Republican, right? Mm-hmm. And he, Dante and I have learned how to we, – we like each other. For whatever reason, we're different parties. We're, he's very conservative. I'm very liberal. I mean, we've, we're not alike in many ways. But he's straight. I'm gay. So on and so on. But he was, we were sitting there, and we were listening to Mayor Pete Buttigieg. And he kept tapping me on the knee going, he's good. He's good. He's really good. I said, of course he's really good. <laughs> of course. That's what happens to little gay kids. Little gay kids overcompensate because they're told in their own heads by themselves, I am not good enough. I am not worthy. I'm not going to succeed. Get all these environmental messages and little gay and lesbian kids become overachievers because they yes, have something do. to prove. Don't we, Mr. Executive Director <laughs> yes, of $12 million organization? <laughs> With two degrees from Stanford. <laughs> two degrees from Stanford. That's right. That's amazing, Arthur, though. That's really wonderful. Yeah. You know, this, uh, Naleo, I think, is one of the larger Latino organizations in the country, yes? Those, like, top three? I, actually, not really in terms of budget or our membership. I think the, the largest membership organization is LULEC. Mm. which is the oldest Latino national organization. And some of the uh, community development Latino organizations have budgets that are approaching $100 million. Mm. Um, So, no, we're actually quite modest mm. by comparison, but we have a big stick. Yeah, we got you have all the Latinos, all the electeds, I mean. We have... Uh, you got U.S. Not, senators, you it, got cabinet members. It's not about quantity, it's about quality. Yeah, <laughs> that's very true. Uh, but we're very pleased with our national conference in Miami uh, last week. We had over 1,000 participants. That's wonderful. Folks from all over the country, both political parties, independents. And I think that's what sets apart Naleo from our sister organizations, 
uh, both Latino organizations and other organizations of elected officials. Because it is not just one level of government. It's not just the mayors. It's not just the city council members or just the governors. It's everybody. Right. It's not just Democrats or just Republicans. It's everybody, as long as you believe in the Naleo mission, which is getting more Latinos to participate in our democracy, then Naleo is a place for you. Let me ask, I, you know, because I've been involved with the Naleo now almost 20 years since I first got elected, and I've been watching it grow and develop, and it's only getting better and better every year. And I always wondered if there would ever be a time when Naleo might look at transgendered issues, because so many transgendered, uh, especially here in Southern California, women are Latinas. And they're coming up from Mexico and Central America and Guatemala and El Salvador, and they're homeless and they don't have jobs and they're HIV positive and they're prostituting themselves and it's like this terrible, uh, like a whole cataclysm of issues. And you think Naleo would ever want to venture there? You think the membership is ready to take <laughs> on something that in West Hollywood I can do it in West right. Hollywood? But you think the general membership? You know, one of the things that I that has made Naleo successful and has allowed us to keep together this coalition of Republicans and Democrats is that we stick to our mission. And our mission is political engagement. Mm -hmm. And how do you increase the participation of Latinos as voters, as elected officials, as political actors in the country? If we stick to that, then we can keep this coalition of red, I mean, left and right, red and blue together. Mm -hmm. I think when we stray from that, and, and we've made that mistake in the past, and, and I take responsibility for when we've done that in the past, it, it doesn't work. Yeah. Now, if there were a political participation angle to yes. gender and transgender issues, then that would be something to look at. And there may be getting them to become naturalized citizens mm -hmm. for starters. <laughs> for starters, right. right? Yeah, and part of the political process. You know, I, I could see, I could see them getting there. You know, for some, for some reason, I think. Uh, the biggest issue is uh, Latino men. And I just say this as somebody who is Latino. The men in our culture have got a chip on the shoulder about machismo, about what it means to be a man. And there's something about gay men and lesbians and trans people that just pushes buttons for some. Not all. For some. For some. For some. But it's getting better. It's getting better. And I look at my dad. My dad is a Korean War veteran, U.S. Marines, came from New Mexico, you know, very moderate to conservative guy. And uh, I listened to him describing to his brothers what the difference is between a transgender and a transsexual. <laughs> and he did it accurately. And I'm like, whoa, dad, you're studying. You're participating <laughs> on all this stuff. Before we leave, your website, people want to learn more about Naleo. How can they get a hold of Naleo? So our primary website is naleo.org. That's N-A-L-E-O.org. And then we have a new website that's focused on the census, agasecontar.org, which means make yourself count. And that's H-A-G-A-S-E-C-O-N-T-A-R.org. We have lots of resources in English and Spanish. You know, even though we may not have a citizenship question on the 2020 census questionnaire, damage has been done. Uh, we have an incredible challenge ahead of us to get everybody content and to overcome efforts to try to make us disappear. Right. But um, no, that's why Nalil's here. That's a great reminder. And for everyone LGBTQ, the census is coming up, be sure to get counted. 
Everyone needs to be counted. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Arturo Vargas, for coming you, by. We'll see you again. Uh, thank you all for tuning in to Sidebar with John Duran here on Channel Q. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I just love that song so much from Hairspray. Oh, I know where I'm going because I know where I've been. And we're going to hear a little bit about that because we've got a legendary LGBTQ icon on the air with us now, Jenny Pizer from Lambda Legal Defense. Welcome, Jenny. Well, that's certainly an introduction. Thank <laughs> you, John. From think, one to another. I think I've known you, I don't even know, 20 years, 25, 30? I'm losing count. Because longer than Jason's been alive, I think I've known you. <laughs> Let's just say we don't have to count that high. It's been a while. Yeah, we would use both hands and feet until you ever still need more fingers. Um, you've been with Lambda Legal for how long? Well, it depends how you count. Um, I've been on staff for 23 years, and my eyes kind of shoot somewhere when I think about that. But I was on the board and overlapped with you yes, way on the back. Lambda Legal board before that. And and actually, I was a law student intern at Lambda Legal in the oh, mid-'80s, so gosh. when you and I start talking history, it, it can go back 35 a while. 35 years. And I met, when I was on the Lambda board, I met this woman from San Francisco. She was the San Franciscan board member, and her name was Lori Jean. <laughs> and I was the board member from Southern California, and I went up to her because I was so impressed with her, and I said, I'm John Duran. I'm Latino. I'm from Orange County. I live in Laguna. I know little to nothing about feminists or women issues what what do i need to do and she gave me a list of books go read the well of loneliness go read this go read that and when you're done you can talk to me <laughs> well i will tell you our movement <laughs> and lambda legal in particular has been blessed by having extraordinary people involved in leadership roles i mean the things you've accomplished over these years of which we won't count <laughs> and Lori and so many other people on the board, on staff, um, it's been pretty extraordinary in our movement as a whole. I mean, among the things we're celebrating here with Stonewall 50 um, is progress that's been possible because of people like that. And yeah, um, I'm, so I'm really, really proud of us. I'm proud of us. Of us. And that's a good way of putting it. We are kind of all the foundational members of movement. Because Lambda started 73, right? 73 in New York City. Well, the birth stories, actually, we tried to start in 72 in New York State denied our incorporation request. Because it said you know, homosexual? <laughs> well, it's, it said the mission was to help homosexuals, and the state of New York said there's nothing charitable or beneficial about that, mm -hmm. and we couldn't have incorporation as a nonprofit status. So the first case we brought and one was for the right to exist. <laughs> and we've carried it forward ever since. And that's true about uh, the LGBT Center here in L.A., too. I think they that's had right. trouble getting incorporated. Well, um, and among the wonderful visual statements of progress is, is that the L.A. LGBT Center um, now occupies as its main headquarters building a building that used to belong to the IRS, and that building, uh, for folks who haven't had a chance to visit it but look on their website, has rainbow flag festooned on the front of the building. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, our movement has uh, – there are 
symbols like that. Mm -hmm. And then there is the steady progress that we've made in the maybe less flashy but deeply important progress that we've made in, in winning civil rights and and recognition of, of who we are. Not that we're finished, not that it's done. There's so much more work to do, but it's really important that we have so much to celebrate. Now, the uh, Lambda was on the point on strike on Texas v. Lawrence, striking down the sodomy laws all across the U.S., right? Yeah. That's right. Uh, so Lambda Legal brought that case and won that case in the U.S. Supreme Court in 2003. Um, in many ways, that was the culmination of actually decades of work mm. Some of the young folks that I hope are dancing in the streets this weekend, certainly right. in New York, um, don't are learning the history, I think, in the way folks are remembering Stonewall now. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of why those bar raids could happen and the police entrapment could happen, an area that in your law practice you've mm-hmm. addressed for, for many years, was because there were criminal laws saying we were not allowed to have our loving relationships, right. our same-sex sexual relationships, Not even talking about legal recognition of our families, but the idea that the police had that legal right to prosecute people for having sex. Mm -hmm. Uh, And those laws were on the books of every state as our movement started, and it was a steady process. Some of it was repeal, as in California here. Uh, In other cases, it was a matter of state courts striking those laws down. The U.S. Supreme Court in the mid-60s, as AIDS was decimating our community, did something decimating to our legal rights by rejecting a challenge to Georgia's criminal sodomy law. Yeah, that's law. Bowers versus Hardware, Bowers versus 86, Hardware. I think. 86, exactly yeah. right, yeah. where the Supreme Court majority, it was five to four, but five to four means it becomes the law of the land, said that our claim for equal liberty under the Constitution was, quote, at best, facetious. Mm. And, and that decision, the legal rule, and the language that was so contemptuous of us Mm -hmm. became a license for employers and courts and others to discriminate or to bless discrimination in so many other areas. So for Lambda Legal, getting rid of those laws and getting Bowers versus Hardwick overturned Mm -hmm. was critical to being able to do some of the next steps of winning protection for our families. And so so the, the Lawrence v. Texas win in 2003 It was important not just because the language of Justice Kennedy's opinion was respectful, but he said that Bowers versus Hardwick was wrong when it was decided, and it's wrong today, and it is hereby reversed. And that was... That was an amazing day. That was a statement of our freedom. I remember us all celebrating in West Hollywood the night that happened. And even Dick Cheney came out and referred to it as just an old chestnut. I think is what he called it, an old chestnut. I like to remind people that, uh, of course, uh, all of this body of law is attached to Roe versus Wade, to abortion rights. Absolutely Under the right right to privacy. And that a threat to Roe versus Wade, a threat to the right to privacy on woman's right to choose, is a threat to one of the foundations of our LGBT movement. Absolutely. I mean, the the protection in the Constitution is for personal liberty. And the courts have come to understand, specifically in the 60s about contraception, in the 70s with abortion, that was about the right of each of us to make our own, to have our own freedom, privacy, but also autonomy, that the government has to respect our individual freedom to run our own personal lives, our family lives. And if abortion can be targeted and systematically attacked, as the religious right has been doing for decades, there's it's a very small step to blocking access to, to contraception, which is actually what the Supreme Court did in the Hobby Lobby case. Mm-hmm. 
and to taking away our rights of sexual freedom uh, and family autonomy. Uh, these are very small steps, and we can just as much be in the crosshairs. And in fact, we are in the crosshairs. We are in the crosshairs. That's why these movements actually are coming together and, and actually some of Lambda Legal's litigation going on right now is about exactly that point. Mm. We're talking to Jenny Pizer, legal director, legal director of Lambda Legal Defense and Education Policy Fund. Director. Policy director. My apologies. <laughs> You're listening to Sidebar with John Duran here on Channel Q. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. I'm sorry. I just got to let Annie sing for a bit. <laughs> Can we do more than eight seconds, Jason? No, we can't. Eight seconds. Annie Lennox, the Eurythmic Sisters, are doing it for themselves. It's a great song. It is a great song. And we've got one of the big sisters in the studio. We've got Jenny Pizer, the Policy Director for Lambda Legal Defense and Education Fund. And it is such a pleasure to be here Pride weekend Pride. in New York City, yes. World Pride, <laughs> 50th anniversary, Stonewall, that's amazing. All of that. Right before the break, we were talking about personal autonomy and the right to privacy and the striking down of Bowers v. Hardwick. And, and of course, all of this is setting the stage for marriage. That's right. And, that's right. and maybe, maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Because I have to tell you, when I was on the Lambda board and the ACLU board, I felt at times we were just surviving. Like we were dealing with an epidemic and we were just trying to keep us out of camps. I mean, it was really horrible. Right. Meanwhile, we were setting this foundation for the fight for marriage equality. I didn't realize it. You probably did. But I, I didn't realize well, it. Well, I mean, sure. But at, and I do want to say, you're not being hyperbolic when you say we're worried about camps. Many people don't know that in 1986, there was a ballot measure in California put there by Lyndon LaRouche and his followers to quarantine who knows where, people living with HIV. And we, I, was, I was a legal intern then at the ACLU of Northern California. We did not know if we were going to be able to stop that measure. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a time of real terror yep. in our communities. Prop 64. Yep. Prop 64. Yep. Um, so, but, but yeah, um, I was Lambda Legal's marriage project director for a number of years, and the, the marriage work um, has been very important in my professional life and in my personal life and in my movement life, not because I think everybody wants to get married or should get married. Um, as my dear friend John Davidson likes to say, uh, we were fighting for the freedom to marry, not the obligation to marry. <laughs> Um, but the that. point is that the the rule that said that that way that the state recognizes and protects many relationships, not all, it's not the only way, but it was the it has been the main way uh, for society and government to recognize and protect family relationships. That if the government said our relationships were not good enough, that both leaves us vulnerable to all kinds of discrimination and unfairness in a host of ways. But probably more damaging is the message from the government that we're not good enough. Mm. We don't deserve equal respect, equal protection, equal inclusion. And that's an incredibly damaging message to our mental health and eventually for many of us physical health. And it invites mistreatment. So um, all everything else 
can follow more easily. It's not like winning marriage equality was necessary for other things. I mean, the Lambda Legal Docket and our movement's priorities have always been broad, naturally and of course. And a lot of other work was going on kind of behind the media obsession with marriage equality. So work to protect trans youth in schools, uh, to challenge abuse in incarceration settings, you know, the host of things. All of that was going on. But the media focus on marriage equality was a wonderful opportunity to show who we are mm. and that this is a movement about love and relationships and being with each other and creating our own families, but also also rebuilding the relationships for many of us with families of origin, mm -hmm. recasting the terms of those relationships. Um, it gave people the language to explain much of what had been wrong before. So again, it's not to say that the marriage work was the be-all and end-all. Of, of course not. But it did provide important language. And, you know, for many of us whose, whose families of origin include immigrants and people who speak languages other than English, um, the language of marriage gave us a way to talk about being LGBT that didn't necessarily exist in the language of our parents or grandparents. Mm -hmm. So in any event... Um, we had to uh, get rid of the criminal sodomy laws, and that also was about talking about relationships and that our sexual relationships deserve just as much respect and understanding and to recognize so we're not from Mars or Venus or any other planet. You know, a adult sexual relationships are really important in a lot of relationships, and the government has no right to be telling anybody, you know, who to love, who to date who to have sex with, who to marry. That's just not, as I sometimes have said, you know, that may be the place of my Aunt Sadie, but it's not the role of Uncle Sam. <laughs> I love that. You know, looking back to, of course, the culture has helped shape a lot of this discussion. 1950s, after World War II, the traditional family structure of man goes to work, woman tends to the home, 2.3 children, white picket fence, suburban little houses. There you go. This is the American dream. Father knows best. 1950s, leave it to Beaver. And, and that became the image for a lot of people about about what it was supposed to be. The reality was, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. And I mean, certainly today, you know, and the day after having two days of democratic debates, for example, um, it, it is so much finally in a brighter public spotlight how diverse we are culturally, um, how diverse we are in terms of how we live our lives and who we are. Yeah, that, that image of the 50s that you just described, first of all, that was... Um, blindingly white <laughs> and the gender roles you know very constricting right. and lots of people did that's, that wasn't the picture for lots of people but lots of people tried hard my mother for example to, 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 li to sort of exist within those constraints she was trained as a biochemist. See, you know? there you go. Um, and World so, War II, Rosie the Riveter was yeah. a real thing. Like with all the men and women going to war, in World War II, suddenly women were getting into the workplace, into factories, getting their own salaries, getting something close to, well, not even equal pay, but at least on the road to equal pay. And suddenly the 50s, and everyone's told, no, no, go back to your assigned places. It's like, wait a minute, wait a well, minute. Well, and fuel the economy by worrying about all the appliances you can buy. But, but let's notice that this is an just about 
history and understanding the history and how much of it was was gauzy nonsense and what was really going on for people and the you know, the liberation from much of that that we have won, we have an administration right now that is having a shocking degree of success in changing the rules and regulations that the Obama administration put in place to insist on non-discrimination and respect for queer people, people of color, immigrants, a whole host of, of rules and regulations through the agencies and through federal policy um, that were very important to achieve. Couldn't get them through Congress, but um, things that were put in place, and this Trump-Pence administration has been systematically removing them, um, trying to turn the clock back to mm. some fictitious, this sort of make America great again thing of 1950s white guy has all the power. And so Lambda Legal is suing in a number of different ways. Thank and, God you're there. Well, and I mean, I want to be direct to, you know, to to our communities and beyond our communities and anyone who's hearing our conversation that this work is as urgent as ever because there are very well-funded right-wing extremist groups, some of them white nationalists, some religious extremists, many of them who have places within this federal administration, um, and Lambda Legal and some of our sibling groups in the movement, um, we are having our hands full mm -hmm. um, suing. And so some of it is about trying to protect access to health care. And this connects to what you were saying about Roe v. Wade. We are now co-counseling with the Center for Reproductive Rights. Awesome. A, a case where the county of Santa Clara is a plaintiff against the Trump administration. We're representing the LA LGBT Center, a number of other uh, LGBT centers and health centers that serve our communities that exist because the mainstream institutions have not met our community's needs with cultural competence, welcoming, um, a place where people feel safe to go and really be themselves and tell their healthcare provider who they really are and what they really need. Those places are at risk by new regulations that the Trump administration put forward. And I'm very proud of this litigation. Uh, worried, obviously, because of the people that the administration and Mitch McConnell have put on the federal bench. Mm. Um, but but we do our work in the courts, in the court of public opinion, in legislatures, um, and it is as, as important as ever, and it is as strategic as ever. What's your website? People need to go and give. Yeah, I'm going to go give today, gang. You should, too. What's your well, website? Well, it's, it's lambdalegal.org, L-A-M-B-D-A-L-E-G-A-L. -E it's like Mary had a little lamb. DuhLegal.org. <laughs> so come see the information we have for you, and we really appreciate every bit of support. Oh, Jenny, thank you so much. See, gang, I told you she was iconic. Jenny Pizer, Lambda Legal Policy Director. When we come back, we're going to talk to Jan D. Gordon about her new book, uh, LGBTQ of Steel. Thanks for tuning in to Sidebar with John Duran here on Channel Q. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. 
Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Welcome back, gang. Thanks for tuning in to Sidebar with John Duran. And we are now in studio with Jan D. Gordon, who has published a new book called LGBTQ of Steel. Welcome, Jan. Thank you. Nice to have you. Now, this book of steel, you actually had a, a, a prior book called Women of Steel. Right. right. Very similar. What is the whole idea behind of steel? What, what does this mean? Well, from the beginning, it was a big inside soul thing for me to be able to say what I wanted, do what I wanted, and not just please everybody else. So it's been a long struggle, and in the process, it was it started for women. In the process, I looked back at my artwork, and I saw that I had actually painted over a, a woman's body. And then I used a mannequin with a woman's body. So I was covering over. Finally, I got to using living things like branches and flowers, the ocean, always with a piece of steel in the image. Mm. So the steel became the analogy to life, reality, hardships, whatever you had to deal with. And obviously, I had to deal with them. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So ultimately... I uh, was in a photography workshop, and my mentor said, for God's sakes, why don't you just use a woman? So that led to artwork, which uh, the images of which are nude women and steel, rather abstracted. And after doing that for a couple of years, somebody said, okay, there must be real women in this world experiencing all this. Why not find them and do a book? So I networked and networked, and it was difficult to find women. I had 20 women who had undergone some kind of hardship or obstacle and used their inner strength to overcome and ultimately to lead a successful life that was by their choice, a life that they wanted. So after finishing that book, came the subject of LGBTQ came up because my brother died of complications of AIDS. And he, he died in 1994. Mm-hmm. So he was one of those people, president of a bank, who did not know how you got AIDS. And he had a wife and a daughter. The daughter, my niece, is in the book, and her partner. Uh, So after, you know, after thinking about all this and realizing what this community has to go through and thinking about my brother, 
that's how this book came about. That's so awesome. And we love our straight allies, so thank you for supporting Pleasure. us. And this is a <laughs> really great book to have. How did you go about p- uh, picking the subject matter? Because I was looking through the book, right. and I, I know a handful of the people, including myself, in this book. Margaret Cho was a guest on my show just a couple of weeks ago. Oh, yeah. And yeah. So uh, I have a son who has a social network that's unbelievable and very outside of the box. So he had several friends who are gay, and that started it. And then as people came into the studio, they recommended other people. Somebody that we know from West Hollywood recommended the whole council. So here's John and other members and the present mayor, John Mm D'Amico, are all in the book. And just one led to another. Oh, that's awesome. That's really, really wonderful. Uh-huh. Thank you. Well, thank you for uh, you know including us in the of steel because I've of- often used that analogy that we were forged in fire. Oh, really? Yeah. As a community, we were forged in fire and we've come out stronger because of it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Very, very true. I'm so sorry to hear about your brother. 94 was one of those critical years when the new drugs had just arrived. He just actually, arrived. we actually knew one of the doctors uh, working on the cocktail. And he did give my brother the very beginning of it, but it was too late. Yeah, that was so sad. One of my law partners also died right there at the end. Oh, yeah. Like, I the never 90s understood. Or yeah, 80s? ninety. No, ninety-four. And it's so um, so bad because it was there was a defining moment where people either went left or right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah but, I know. Yeah, and I'm one of those that fortunately went uh, right because I I've been HIV positive for oh, 25 plus years. Now. You have have been and. Uh, you the, take that the drugs? the drugs came in just in time. Yeah, because wow. had had it Lucky been another man. year, I don't think I would have made it. Uh-huh. I've been hospitalized four separate times, and each time the doctor said, "Are your affairs in order? You're not going to make it. You're not going to see the year 2000. You're not going to see the year 2000." And now that doctor's dead. <laughs> I'm still here in 2019. Seriously? Yeah, yeah. I'm still here. Yeah. So I don't know why. You know, part of it's circumstance, and obviously I had other stuff I had to get done before I left. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah very, very true. Tell our listeners about uh, where they can get more information about your your book. Uh, the book is on. It's for sale on our website, which is called humanityofsteel.com. Also on Amazon. Okay. So you just Google LGBTQ of Steel by Jan D. Gordon. There you go. And you get either place. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, congratulations on your new book and your new launch. I think it's wonderful, and uh, especially on the 50-year anniversary of Stonewall. Thanks for commemorating a lot of our people in your publication. Thank you. There's actually a gentleman 93 years old who was at Stonewall. Oh, awesome. Uh-huh. 93. Yeah, yeah, Robert Clement. Oh, that's amazing. I'm glad you included him uh, <laughs> in, the, in the book. Gang, when we come back from a commercial break, we're going to be talking to Greta Schiller, who is the director of Before Stonewall, detailing LGBT history during World War I and World War II. I want to thank you all for tuning in to Sidebar with John Duran here on Channel Q. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. 
The Lavender Cowboy. I love that song in this movie, Before Stonewall. In studio, we've got uh, Greta Schiller, director of Before Stonewall, and Andrea, last name Andrea? Weiss. 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 Uh, uh, Partners, yes. Wives, are you two married? Yeah, we're married. She was the archive research director on Before Stonewall, won an Emmy for that. But I won the big prize because I got her. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. I loved your film. I watched it because I wanted to be prepared for this interview. And I've been telling our listeners forever that Stonewall, even though it's a 50-year anniversary today, is not the beginning of the LGBTQ movement. In fact, we go back long before that. And your movie captures all that time. Starting World War II was a pivotal moment, I think, right? Another pivotal one? The World War II was amazing because people, you see, there's so much, there's a whole industry of World War II movies. And they never include the fact that lesbians and gay people found one another because they were in same-sex environments. Right. They were, for women, it was the first time they could get out of the house because they were paid right. to work in factories. and, and Rosie the Riveter. Rosie the Yeah, Riveter. the Rosie the Rosie Riveter. The Riveter. You know it. Yeah. Yeah. And so this was a phenomenal thing that, that made it possible for women to have apartments, go mm-hmm. out to dinner, and go their to own club, paycheck. Their own yeah. paycheck, yeah. yeah. And so the, and women of course sometimes people get lesbians are women. So we're in that category of, you know, paid less and less access to things. And so World War II was an empowering moment. And a lot of wax, uh, w, uh, women armed combat, right? Is that right? What wax women Army like? Corps. Army Corps, Army Corps. We're in fact <laughs> lesbian and in, in leadership. Yeah. That's featured in your film as well. Yeah, wonderful. I know that the Hayes Code uh, was the death, one of the moments when they tried to wipe us out. That Hayes uh, in 19, was it 30? 34, I think. 30 34, tried to eliminate the depiction of LGBT people in movie making uh, and tried, I mean, we were present in the, the before they had talkies. They had same-sex couples dancing and, and other portrayals of gay and lesbian people. And then the Hayes Code tried to wipe us off the face of the earth. Yeah, when we were when I, we were doing the archival research for the film, we wanted to include some clips from Hollywood films, but really we had to look at kind of the 30s when the before the Hayes Code really uh, was fully in effect, and the '60s when it was kind of on the decline, and that's matter. where you found yeah. there were a couple. Like for example, we have the one with Ronald Reagan and the drag show, and there mm-hmm. were a couple of images you could possibly read as gay, gay lesbian, but it was mostly sort of around the edges of the enactment and the repeal of the Hayes Code that we found the the strongest material. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, the women and men who existed in that period of time, they were really courageous because back then it was illegal to be same-sex relationship. You, you couldn't even have a relationship. You were considered criminal. Yeah. Uh, it was not even possible to be out or open without possibly being subjected to criminal prosecution. Well, I know. On the level of, like, women lost their kids, uh, their husband, all they had to say, their ex-husband, she's a lesbian, the kids are gone. Yeah. Men and women lost their jobs, lost apartments, lost family and friends. It's just like, just for the fact of loving someone, right. it's incredible. Love always finds a way. Love yeah. always finds... I mean, of course, there's a very famous uh, prosecution of Oscar Wilde. Yes. You know, the, yeah. the love that dare not speak its name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and because of that, you know, a lot of these people, a lot of people who appear in the film, um, not the activists, but the ones who sort of so-called ordinary people, which is what we were very interested in. How did ordinary people live before Stonewall? A lot of them 
um, were very hesitant. You know, they didn't just come marching forward saying, oh, I'd love to be on national public television talking about right. my life. You know, I, they've right. lived in the closet. Yeah. And uh, it really took Greta and other people working on the film, spending time with them, earning their trust, and, and especially for women and people of color who had more to lose mm-hmm. to get some of them to appear in the film. It took a little coaxing. You know, when I look back at sort of uh, the Roaring Twenties, I mean, you think of Berlin in the Roaring Twenties. That was a happening place with, you know, heavy-duty drag, nightclub, cabaret. I mean, it's fe- the movie Cabaret is, in essence, a depiction of that theme. And, and Nazis, of course, wiped the entire scene out. And, of course, in Cabaret, speaking of Cabaret, the film, I remember seeing it as a is a, in high school and that wonderful line when Michael York says he says in there in Liza Minnelli and they're having an affair with the same man and she says you know I sleep with him and Michael York says so do I and it was just like just that one line which right. is like so revolutionary it, yeah it, it so was The Well of Loneliness I think that was a, a pivotal book for mm-hmm. a lot of women and, and I, I know we have uh, the June Mazer archives in West Hollywood and uh, I was the council member that actually found a permanent home for the June Mazer archives in West Hollywood congratulations because, yes because really important to have but a lot of the literature that was developed during that period of time this is how women connected through books. That's right. Books were so important. You could just read them in private. You could read them in secret. You could go in the library and hide in the stacks and read them. As a matter of fact, we saw a play last night in Decent. We learned about 1923 was the first lesbian kiss on Broadway. It's like, okay, we missed that as research for the film. <laughs> yeah, you got time for but an edit. <laughs> and the woman who wrote the play had read the play, this, this play. The one woman who wrote the contemporary play, Paula Vogel, had stood in the stacks mm. and read that 1923 play and cried when she like before she came out just like oh my god we exist I think this idea that we exist for me it was almost like a home movie it was like I'm gonna find all my ancestors that you know didn't that have been cut out of history. Mm-hmm. So that's how I kind of felt like mm. most of the interviewees. And yeah. we all felt that way. Well, I mean, if you look back at ancient Greece or ancient Rome, you're going to find homosexuality as far back as you go. But I think what really is interesting to me is that before Stonewall, this was all happening. It's just not highlighted. And your movie does that. So Thanks. congratulations for bringing it all forward. What is the schedule for the movie? Is it premiering? Yeah, it's uh, on uh, Friday at 10... Tonight, Tonight. it's going to open in at Los Angeles at the Ara Beverly Hills Lamley's Theater. It's playing in Seattle this week, Washington D.C., Palm Springs. It's going to open it. We got people listening in all these cities, by the way. Uh, Yeah, before Stonewall, gang, go out and see before Stonewall. It's in your city, and if you want to go to first run features, you can find out all the cities, but Seattle. And Washington, D.C., and L.A., and New York, we've been held over. We're just like on cloud nine. We're like, okay, we released this film 35 years ago. It's like our, our you know, highly successful child who's getting a rebirth. Uh, that is so, so amazing. Um, my, uh, I had Jenny Pizer on uh, in the last hour. Jenny is the policy director for Lambda Legal Defense. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about how the 1950s were a response to all the new activism in the 40s. Like like you're talking about, all these people from small towns were drawn into the ports of Long Beach, mm-hmm. uh, of San Pedro here in Los Angeles, of New York City. All of these ports, uh, San Diego, became places where gay men and lesbians started to 
define one another. Thank you, Uncle Sam, <laughs> for pulling us into the Navy and into the military. We found each other, and then immediately McCarthyism hits, and everyone's told, okay, women, go back to in the kitchen. Men, you are now the breadwinner. We want everyone to fit in these cute little suburban homes. And our LGBT people are like, no, wait a minute. No, no, we just got here. We don't want to go back into anything. Right? I think that's one of the things that's so interesting about the film being re-released right now because it really does show that when there's these opening moments of opening up like during World War II there's a, there's a clamp down afterwards right. and it's not just that things were oh those were the bad old days and things have just gotten better and better we're going into the bad old bad new days yes and now um, yeah, I and mean they, Trump Pence is in fact a clampdown for exactly. marriage equality. So we really, yeah. I, I, it feels like the film's re-release is kind of like watching a cautionary tale about you know what could happen. Right, right. As a matter of fact, I saw a headline in USA Today that uh, survey's just been done, and they say shockingly, the in the last ten, uh, the last six years, like in the Trump era, the number of young people who are anti-gay or who would be embarrassed if a member of their family were gay has actually risen to 30%. I saw that. I but saw that's that. like, do you? I don't know any of these people. Every young person I know just doesn't care, gay, straight, in between. They're just so free about it all. Well, and I think part of it is the right-wing reactionary groups that have come up. I, you know, apparently. all of a sudden, I'm guessing the numbers have gone up for racism against immigrants, Absolutely. against Muslims, uh, yeah, against we all. just we just I kind of live in my own, you know in a cultural bubble where I don't personally interact with them. Yeah, yeah. Neither do I, except on the internet. <laughs> We've learned at my Thanksgiving table, my biological family, that we just don't talk about politics because I have a brother and a sister who are both Republican uh, and Latino, which to me is like, how are you doing this again? <laughs> but but we have just learned not to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. I've got a I've got a nephew who's married to a Mexican American woman who's a total. Trumpite, and I don't get it. I'm I like, don't I get don't it. get it. I don't get it at all. I don't either. You know, she was an immigrant. Her parents were immigrants, and you're anti-immigration, don't you? I, I, I don't get it. It, it, it makes no sense. Yeah. I, mean, I, I try to find logic and reason, and because I don't, I just assume not talk to you about it. Well, yeah, at some point. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, um, my sister and brother both admitted they did not vote for Donald Trump. Oh, <laughs> glad to hear it. They didn't vote for Hillary either. I don't know. <laughs> I think they may have just skipped that part of the ballot, but yeah, that's okay. Progress, yeah. right? Progress. Yeah. I want to ask you all. the. Um, um, oh, Okay. We got less than a minute, so maybe is there a website where people can find yeah, out more information? Yeah, you can either find out more about us in the film at Jezebel, J-E-Z-E-B-E-L dot org, and you can find out on First Run Features where the film is playing around the country. Awesome. And uh, congratulations on your opening night. That's fantastic. Whatever it is tonight, you're premiering all over yeah. the country. I think it's wonderful. And thank you, uh, I, because anytime we have people like yourselves who research our history and our history and make sure that we get it right, I am so grateful because uh, the internet is uh, creating a whole new narrative that's not true. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was you there. Because I was there for part of it. It's not all true. So no, exactly. Thank you for setting the record straight. Should we say no? We should. Say thank you for setting the record queer. I appreciate it very, very <laughs> thank much. Thank you. All right, thanks, gang. Thanks. We're going to take a quick break. I want to thank you all for tuning into Sidebar with John Duran here on Channel Q. Odyssey is 
giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Welcome back, gang. What an incredible morning it has been. And happy 50-year, golden anniversary of the Stonewall Uprising here on June 28th, 2019. Uh, 50 years ago, a pivotal moment in LGBT history when Stormy Lefebvre, Marsha Johnson, and Sylvia Rivera, three women of color, two of them being trans women of color, struck back, pushed back, and fought back against the New York City police that led to uh, nights of, uh, of uprest, re- rebellion and uprising. Uh, many see it as, uh, uh, mistakenly see it as the beginning of the gay rights movement. It is not. It is not. It's a pivotal moment, yes, and we celebrate it. But it is not the beginning. And as my last guest detailed, uh, LGBT people have been fighting for a place in the sun throughout all recorded history, all world history, and even United States history. But if we go back to uh, where uh, more recent modern world history Looking back in the 1920s, the Roaring Twenties, when the flappers were on the stage and Mickey Cohen and Bugsy Siegel were setting up their speakeasies, I bet you didn't know, or maybe you did, that it was Mickey Cohen and Bugsy Siegel that set up the very first drag show in Los Angeles on the Sunset Strip, went out and recruited uh, cross-dressing men to create their comedy routines at their nightclubs. And so our people have often been at right in the crux and the vortex of challenging the notion of gender and what it's supposed to mean to be a man and what it's supposed to be to be a woman and what it's supposed to be to be someone in between. And we have taken the constraints and the restraints and the handcuffs of world history and we have blown them wide open to give people the freedom, the liberty to be as they wish to be without having to conform to any old world notions of what it's supposed to look like. And that is, in fact, the promise of LGBTQ history, the freedom to be, to choose whom to love, the freedom to express yourself And I know we've often talked about how the LGBTQ rights is a struggle for equality, and it is to be treated equally. But also paramount in that is the freedom to express oneself freely, freedom of speech, freedom of expression, freedom of association, all freedoms found in the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution under the right to free speech, the right to assemble, the right to associate, and the right to speak freely and not have to worry about government sanction or censorship. And that is also a large part of our history because over the decades, repeatedly, uh, federal administrations have tried to stifle us, censor us, wipe us out of existence, curtail us, shut us down and shut us up. And uh, we are just the movement that won't stay silent. We just won't stay silent. And that is the reason for our motto during the AIDS epidemic, that silence equals death. That for us to be silent would mean death. So when Donald Trump and uh, Mike Pence took the White House in 2016, within the first month 
of their administration. They completely removed LGBT people from the White House page, trying to render us invisible. And many of their policies are also aimed at trying to make us invisible and not part of America. Not realizing, of course, that we are, in fact, the creators, the collaborators, the institutionalists in, of what modern American culture is all about. Because wherever you look, there we are. We're on Broadway. We're in television making decisions in studios. We're in movie making in Hollywood. And we're there at the Grammys and the music making. And all around American culture, you will see LGBTQ people and our allies continuing to exist and to thrive and to be passionate about who we are and how we love and who we love. And uh, we won't be silenced. So in that spirit, in that spirit of nonconformity, of rebellion, of being righteous and riotous at the same time, happy golden anniversary to the LGBTQ community, a community that has found its place in American culture and history, not based on fitting in and conforming to what other people's notion was of what we should be or what we could be, but rebelling to push the boundaries, to push out in the borders, to color outside of the lines, and to create our own notions of relationships and love and liberty, and to actually have a lot of our heterosexual allies say, you know what, that's okay for us too. And so as we tear down ancient ideas about what women are supposed to be bound by and what men are supposed to be bound by, and instead open up the roles of gender and gender expression, thus not only freeing up LGBTQ people, but freeing up heterosexual people as well, that they don't have to conform to outdated old world history notions of what gender is supposed to mean, or what relationship is supposed to mean, or what even life in this short time on the planet is supposed to be like. Maybe it's not all about falling in love, procreating, and passing a torch to the next generation. Maybe there's something more to be explored about relevance, about community, about making a difference, about being of service to others, about finding a place in community to coexist with one another in peace and in acceptance. That is, in fact, our common values and what we bring to the American experiment. So while you're out celebrating this weekend in New York City, if you're there at World Pride, or if you're here in Los Angeles on Santa Monica Boulevard, or celebrating Pride in the Castro, or if you're in Iowa City, or you're in Denver, or Albuquerque, or Atlanta, or Miami, or Boston, or Hartford, or wherever you happen to be this weekend, take a moment to remember your ancestors, not just the women and men at the Stonewall Inn, but those that came before, and those who have fought back and been rebellious to stands for something greater than themselves, to stand for the notion of human dignity that is not bound by any government or by any religion. We've taken them all on, presidents, prime ministers, generals, popes, bishops, clergy, taken them all on, and we're still here, we're still queer, and we will not be silent. Happy Pride, everybody. It's been a great Pride Month. Happy 50-year anniversary to all of us on our golden celebration. And uh, look forward to the 4th of July celebration next Friday here on Sidebar with John Duran. Thank you for tuning in to the new Channel Q.